It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on X at Charles Chill FFB. Check out everything at Destination Devi over at the website destinationdevi.com or the Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash all gas. Join the Destination 5 tier or the Trades in 5 or Heisman tier. Get access to bonus content inside the Discord. A lot of stuff coming soon on the YouTube channel as well. Destination Devi YouTube channel. War Games will be out very, very soon. And then an announcement, which we'll talk a little bit more about it here upcoming on the show Wednesday night. But you'll be getting more Destination Chill with Ray and I. So stay tuned to Wednesday night's episode, which will be 9 p.m. Eastern live on the YouTube channel, where we'll talk about our expansion of Destination Chill. So with tonight's episode, we've done a lot of content over the last couple months here. My show focused mostly on roster construction. And roster construction, I wanted to put this show out this week, just taking some general questions from our Discord, from X, that I get asked about roster construction. I get a ton of them. Sometimes I don't have the capacity to explain all of them over and over and over. But at the same time, There's a lot of content out there that will not even talk about roster construction, that will not even mention it. There's zero context. And I consume a lot of podcast content, a lot of YouTube content. I'm trying to stay up constantly with what else is out there in the space. And there are shows that, quite frankly, will just never even talk about it. Their entire analysis is this player, that player. Here's what happened. So chase this outcome, chase that situation. I love this player's profile, so they must be good for Dynasty. I got to get them on my team. You just have to go get those players. You have to go get those picks. And I'm not saying there's not a time or a place for that, but when you're in the offseason, I think really it's humbling to respect the fact that there is so much unknown right now with the NFL with teams, with situations, with how players are going to be valued on the market, the demand, the supply and demand of just players. Who's going to be players people want to deal? Who are going to be players people want to buy? A lot of that's unknown. We can chase archetypes. We can chase types of players. But I think generally we do not respect enough that everything is almost up in the air at this point. Probably 80% of what we think we know right now is completely up in the air just for the next upcoming season. And so that's why I focus so much on structure and roster construction. It's no different than if you're listening to best ball content right now, talking about underdog, talking about any sort of best ball drafting this early on. The power is in structure and in roster construction. Sure, are there going to be times that I stray from that? Yes, I've talked about that on the roster construction shows. But if you're talking about Dynasty in a large-scale lens, when I'm speaking to thousands and thousands of people, I don't know 
if the person is playing in one single shallow dynasty league or they're playing in 30 dynasty leagues. So you're just speaking as the aggregate of everybody together. And I don't even know what the average looks like. It'd be funny to actually go out and find what the average dynasty player, taking all the dynasty players together, how many leagues they're in on average and the formats. And then, then when you separate that out to who's listening to this type of content, who's interested in roster construction content or team building content. So just be a fun exercise to kind of get that. So I wonder if maybe that's something we can pull from sleeper. That's another conversation. But anyway, the power of something like roster construction or using something like war to build a team, it's powerful right now because a lot of the other stuff is unknown. So when I just kind of surrender to the fact that everything else is just up in the air, I'm going to lean back on, all right, I've analyzed my league. I've talked about this before. It's an algebraic formula. Your league has all of these variables. You're trying to solve for as many as you can, but there's also some constraints. There's some rules. There's roster sizes. There's lineup settings. There's scoring. There's waiver rules. There's draft pick rules. Roster expansion. There's tons of different things that you're trying to solve for. You're never going to solve for all of them. You're only going to have periods of time where you have more information and less information. But when you can go back and say, okay, one of the things that I can solve for is historically, this is what an optimal roster build looks like. And then have, that has to stay fluid because you're constantly looking at players that are moving in and out of different slots as to what makes up that build. That's where we go back to the numbers that I've talked about on the roster construction series, both best ball and lineup. I give out numbers, but those numbers are really just what you're trying to strive for, but it's trying to strive to hit those numbers with the optimal players. But the players are something that changes from month to month, definitely from season to season. So you can't just lock your team in and go, it's hit optimal. I never need to touch it. You always want to touch it. You're always trying to want to get to a point where you're close to that build or close to that construction, but you're always maintaining the flexibility, the liquidity, and more assets to play with. And the reason that you want to get more assets to play with is to keep striving to get to that equilibrium point. And that's all it really is. It doesn't have to be perfect. People are going to show you rosters and they go, this isn't really roster constructed great, but hey, it won the championship. And that's okay. I'm not saying you can't win if you don't have good roster construction. But especially when you're in the offseason and there's a lot that's unknown, a team that won it all last year may be hurt by the fact that their construction really wasn't that good. So to just run it back because of what happened in the past probably isn't a good idea. So I'm going to take some questions, and these are just general roster construction questions that I've gotten from the Discord, that I've gotten on X, that I wanted to address. I thought they would make good talking points. And again, this show is more about looking at things very abstractly. It's February. There's not a whole lot to do other than talk about rookies, go out there, try and savvy ways to find deals to be had where maybe you can gain some leverage or... 
you're able to get rid of some stuff that you really don't want to be holding after free agency or the rookie draft, et cetera. But there's not a lot going on. So I think the discussion of off-season roster construction and kind of trying to get back to the optimal is actually a really good thing that the Dynasty community should embrace because it brings some intrigue. It brings some intrigue to your Dynasty teams right now if you have something else to look for other than all right, there's about 20 players in Dynasty that people actually want right now. And you may think that's extreme, but go out to your leagues. And Dynasty Daddy has a new thing where you can pull the most transacted players and just go look at the list. Go look at the list, and maybe we'll even do a quick show on that, breaking it down. What does it actually mean? What can we glean from looking at that list weekly or biweekly or whenever it might be? What does it tell you? And I'll just say, the one that I looked at, it was dominated by wide receivers that were not old and quarterbacks. And mostly it was wide receivers that are not old. Meaning if you take like the 20 to 25 players out there that are getting moved the most, you could almost look at it as what are the most liquid assets. It's just young wide receivers. Now, I'm not saying everybody wants some certain players on that list. There's a lot of players in that list that you could say, well, they're all the same. They're in that wide receiver 12 to 30, 35 range. And one person may love one and one person might want to sell that same one. But that's why you see movement in that range. You can notice the trend of those are players that generally people in your league are going to be fine with buying. Devontae Smith, good receiver, probably just a pedestrian wide receiver too. But somebody's going to go, I like him. I'll buy him. I'll give you a pick for him. I'll swap another receiver for him. I'll give you a better older receiver in a deal where maybe I get him in a piece. Like he's a transactable asset. You really don't see a lot of running backs on that list. Almost none. You don't really see a lot of quarterbacks on the list. There's a couple, but generally it is the higher end ones. It is the ones that you can trade if you're willing to make a big deal, but you don't see a ton of moves with those guys. So they don't typically even make the list either. You don't see a ton of the elite QBs on the list. And for that reason, you, okay, well, then I should see a lot more QBs. Well, not really. You don't see Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, Geno Smith. You don't see those guys on the list either. Sean Watson. You know why? Because the person that has them is going, wow, what they could give me is much more important than what I can actually get back in a trade. So you don't see them on the list either. Tight ends, most leagues, people don't value tight ends at all. The elite ones and then everybody else. So generally, it's just draft picks. Young wide receivers. You don't see a lot of DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen. Don't see those guys on the most traded list either. Because again, whoever has them is probably saying, man, that Hopkins keep trade cut price is a third. I think I'd rather just hold on to him. So the conclusion almost from January to at least free agency, but probably until the rookie draft is basically there's about five to 10% of the players that people actually want. Like, actually, hey, I like that guy. I'm going to go make an offer for him. I'm going to make a fair market offer for him. Not the market offer that this site says you could pay. Or not an offer that I know the other manager is going to accept. But an offer that I think legitimately would be in the ballpark what that player is going for. So what else is there to talk about? Roster construction. Moving your team to a place where you are ready to fire on the season. Even if you don't end up winning. I think that's the biggest takeaway before I get into the questions is, let's say I have 25 teams. 
When I say I'm going to set up as many of them as I can to be roster constructed right, I'm doing that based on the assumption that I'm going to have a diverse range of players. I'm going to have a mix of elite players and mid-tier players. And maybe I, I narrow down some of my stashes and stuff like that to specific types of players, you know, backup quarterbacks, backup running backs, et cetera. But generally where I'm really, really trying to diversify is in the core ranges of how I'm building. So my threshold receivers, my high-end quarterbacks, my elite tight ends, I want to have a mixture of all of them. So you're going to look at my portfolio of teams and say all of them are roster constructed very well. But not every one of them is going to win because of the roster construction. There's going to be a couple in there that 5 out of 25 are just going to have awful combinations. They're going to have just the wrong combinations of players. They're going to be drawing dead in the first month of the season. Injuries, bad play, both. Even if you can say the construction was perfect, they're just going to have bad combinations of players. Then you're going to have probably 10 of the remaining 20 that are having disruptions to that construction constantly. An elite quarterback injury, a core wide receiver underperforming, combinations there in both. So you're going to have disruptions constantly. Man, my construction was great. I had these six receivers in my start 10 league. I can roll five of them every week. Two of them are hurt. One's underperforming, and I'm dealing with bye weeks. So very quickly, I'm getting desperate. I'm picking up receivers off waivers to throw in. So you start seeing that happen, and that's okay. Again, you're going to have to stray from your optimal construction to survive the variance of a season. Then you may have 10 others where they're perfectly constructed. That construction survives most of the year. Hey, both my quarterbacks stayed healthy. Generally, my receivers acted exactly what I want them to do. They provided the threshold. I'm going to start five of them every week. I have seven of them or eight of them, and I survived getting through the season. Doesn't mean you're going to win, though. You still want to have the high war players, which you can't predict with roster construction. You can't go through and say, all right, I'm roster constructing correctly. It's going to tell me what players to pick. You still have to go take that optimal construction and put the players in. And the way that I play it, I play in a lot of leagues. I try to dial in the construction, and then I diversify the types and combinations of players within that. Does it limit your hit rate? Maybe. That's a show that I've always kind of wanted to do because I've had people approach me in the past and say, hey, if you're looking for an even higher potential ROI, again, you're in 25 leagues, do you really want to accept that 60% of those are unlikely to win the championship going into the season. No, but that's basically the breakdown that I just did, right? Where I said five of the 25 are going to be drawing dead and then 10 of the 20 are going to be facing challenges all year. So maybe I have 10 that have a legitimate shot to win the championship. And I've had people challenge me on that and say, well, basically, if you would go more extreme and not care about diversifying assets and making stronger bets on individual players or individual situations, you may have a thing where you roster you know, this receiver 15 out of 25 leagues. You may get Josh Allen in every single league. Maybe you just pay out the nose to get Josh Allen in every league. And you just hope that he's three points better than the next best QB, and he's the QB one. And if so, you're going to have teams that maybe have a higher than that 40% rate or chance of winning. 
but that's not how I play. Dynasty is a more than one season year game. So you're not going to sit there and just say, I'm going to go all in for one year because you do want to have some semblance of flexibility when you get to the off season. So with that, let's get into the questions. I think I've preached enough on roster construction, but you know, I've seen people knocking it recently saying it doesn't really matter. And in the scope of one team, you're always going to be able to find me one team or one manager that kind of ignores it and is successful and wins a couple leagues. But I think across the board, the framework of the idea is very sound and why it's important in the offseason. This first question is from our Discord. Vapad1 asks, Scott, how does roster construction change for a 12-team Superflex 1.5 tight end premium start 10 with only 12 bench spots? So obviously that differs from my roster construction series. It's one less starter. It's eight less bench spots, and it's only 1.5 tight end premium. So I'll just start with addressing the tight end premium. So the tight end premium doesn't matter here. I think it's actually shallow enough where, given that the tight end premium doesn't matter, you could probably go down to one tight end here. You could probably roster just one tight end. Now, most people are not going to be comfortable doing this. They're going to say, ah, oh, man, what if I have an injury? Or, you know, what if my tight end that I have just isn't performing? I want to have another one. But if you really kind of use war principles and you plug in a league like this into the war, war graph and you look at the my league analytics, you'll see that the flex rate for tight ends is extremely low, meaning you're never going to want to flex them. And unless you can get a tight end that you are able to just say, I'm going to set and forget and I know they're going to produce, you're essentially going to be stuck with replacement level options. And a lot of the teams are going to be having to go to that range very quickly. And the key is 22 bench spots here, right? Sure. Can you carry two tight ends? Fine. I always will say two tight ends is standard almost regardless of the roster spots. But if you think about what that actually means, unless you have two guys where you're like, I've gotten one fairly cheaply, and then I have another one that maybe is a little bit better than what the price is, or I feel there's more bang for your buck with that tight end versus what their market value is, then fine, carry two. But I almost look at if you have a decent one, let's say you have Evan Ingram, for instance, you're probably just going to set and forget, right? Now, if he gets hurt or he's on a bye week, you might say, oh, I wish I had a better one to plug in there. But who's a better one? In a one to two week window, who is a better tight end? You might say, oh, yeah, Kate Otten's a better tight end than what I'm getting off waivers. Sure, maybe across the season. But for a one to two week window, he might not be. And in 22-man rosters, 1.5 premium, you should be able to find ones on waivers where you go, okay, that's not a sexy name, but I can throw it in there. And he's going to be available just to pick up. There's nobody that's holding those tight ends. So I think I'd look around my league and just kind of count how many tight ends are being rostered. But that shallow of benches, I'd be fine going down to one tight end, especially if it's one of those guys where you're like, I'm just going to play him every week. It's Evan Ingram, it's David Njoku, it's Jake Ferguson. You just start him. Even if they're tight end 11, tight end 10, you just start them. You don't even really worry about what they're going to give you. You just start them. You're not making a decision week to week, and you're saving that roster spot. So that would be the first thing that I would tack is probably only carry one tight end. Sure, you can carry two, but if you're talking about picking up guys like Juwan Johnson or Noah Fant, Brevin Jordan, those types off waivers, I don't really know if I want to roster one of those guys. In a 30-man roster league, I'd love to have one of those as my backup. I'm fine with that. But in 22-man rosters, it just doesn't feel like that's the best use of my roster spot. I'm never flexing a player like that. And what's the worst-case scenario if I have to plug in a tight end off waivers? 
The big difference is they don't have the name those guys do, right? Like you can't envision a league where Noah Fant's not rostered in a tight end premium. But in that format, I would let somebody else hold him as their tight end three, tight end four. There's probably a team out there. You look at their roster, they're holding four tight ends. Uh, just got to stash guys like Noah Fan. Just got to hold him. Even if I'm never going to use him, who's going to buy him? What's the outcome as to what you're holding him for? So I might be willing to just go with one tight end there. Now you have 21 bench spots. So let's assume you went with one tight end. 21 bench spots. You still want to dial in your receivers just exactly as you would. Uh, you can start five here with the start three and the two flexes. So you're probably truthfully still at the number that's around seven, uh, but you could probably go down to six. Again, though, the threshold is a little bit higher, though, because it's only a start 10, uh, but more importantly, it's a shallower league. So if you think about that concept, the replaceability, just like tight end, the replaceability or replacement value at receiver is going to be easier to find on waivers because of the fact that it's only 22-man rosters. Now, again, that's assuming everybody in your league is roster constructing somewhat optimally. That's another thing to look at that I don't really talk about much with roster construction is you may go through your exercise and say, here's my construction. I've looked at the war. I've looked at the my league analytics. But what is everybody else doing in my league? Because you can almost look at this sometimes in a way where if everybody is doing what you're trying to do, it makes it easier. But like to the tight end question or to the receiver question here, the erosion of replacement value on waivers may exist if everybody else is roster constructing poorly. But the good news is it's a push and pull, right? If everybody in your league, even in a 22-man roster, start five receiver max league is going to roster 10 or 11 receivers, there should be something else you should be able to get because they're wasting that many roster spots on that position. So with this, I'd probably still go with seven receivers. Six is probably the, the lowest you would want to go to but you probably have to dial the quality up 20%. So if you look at this, if you can start three receivers across a 12-team league, that's 36. Two flexes, that's another 24. Your threshold's probably like top 40 instead of top 50. So if you're looking for the optimal, I would want to shoot for six receivers in the top 40, probably even be higher than the top 40 because you don't want to have all your receivers, you know, four or five of your receivers outside the top 15. You'd like to have a lot of those innings eaters. I might want to have a stud, but I probably want at least three more of those top 20, top 25 receivers just to kind of make sure I have some ceiling built in on a weekly basis. So let's assume we go with six. We go with one tight end. We're really slimming down those two positions uh, that we typically are trying to look at a positional advantage for. And then at QB running back, you can play it the same way. Six receivers, one tight end, you have 15 roster spots left it's a push and pull at qb i think the more qb firepower you have at the top you can probably go with less backup qbs because uh, one thing that i have noticed is at least one of the bigger pushbacks that i've gotten on my roster construction series is why roster the backup qbs in the offseason and i i do agree to an extent there's probably some that i'm holding that i could cut they would sit until the start of the season, and then they are either backups and they would get picked up, or they wouldn't. But there's no rush of me losing a big outcome in the offseason. I, mean, I could probably drop guys like C.J. Beathard. You know, I'm holding 
a decent amount of those players just because there really isn't anything else to add at this point. But I think when we start getting into free agency, we start getting into seeing where a lot of the rookies go. I'm going to drop the backup QBs for shots that actually could turn a profit before the start of the season. Now, that doesn't mean when I get back to the offseason or get back to the season that I'm going to carry the backup QBs again. But for now, like you look at somebody, CJ Beathard is a great example. He's probably going to be what he is. So there isn't really an outcome where I'm going to have to battle to get him back. The only outcome I'm going to have to battle to get him back is somebody else that's looking at roster constructing the same. So if I can look across my league and go, yeah, most of my league has no semblance of an idea of how to roster construct, I can cut those types of players knowing that I can get them back, even if it's just for a UDFA that I pick up off waivers. So I think that's where you can stray a little bit from the optimal. During the season, when the player pool starts to dwindle, especially at the beginning, the player pool, yes, everybody's healthy, but the player pool is very dialed in right on like opening day of the season. Everyone kind of knows who they want, who's going to be in what roles, and then there's a lot of players where you're just not sure of. And then as injuries start to happen, it expands to the point where you're like, I have to make some decisions on backup QBs, but also it expands into having more backup QBs because you get into the midst of the season and you go, okay, with this 24th roster spot out of 30, what is likely to be the most impactful on a week-to-week basis if there is something that changes? And there's a reason that it's running backs and it's quarterbacks. So I think it's kind of just understanding how to manage that and in the offseason, especially in a 22-man roster league, there's probably going to be a ton of backup QBs on waivers that I don't even have to bother picking up. So maybe during the season, I want to be carrying, I don't know, of my 15 remaining spots, I probably want to be carrying six or seven QBs during the season. But in the offseason, I don't need that. Maybe I carry three or four. Maybe there's one or two high-leverage backups that I hold on to. I have two starters. I have a couple higher-end backups, guys that I know could get a bridge job. Gardner Minshew, Jacoby Brissett, Jarrett Stidham, Drew Locke, guys like that. The one, the backups you would say, okay, those are like top 10 backups in the league. Aside from those go, a lot of the players below that, not really interested in holding until I see them be backups during the season. And then all the other spots, running backs. So you're probably looking at six receivers, one tight end is the minimum, maybe four quarterbacks. So what are we at right there? 11 and the rest running backs, 11 running backs. And that's going to include some rookies. That's going to include some running backs where you're not sure where they're going to fall on the depth chart. Uh, And then the only exception, like all leagues, is there anything where I don't really think fits into these categories, but I think I could sell. Darnell Mooney. I saw the report Darnell Mooney is going to be uh, a target of the Chiefs. Okay, I don't want Darnell Mooney in a lineup league. Zero interest in him in a start 10 lineup league. Even in a start 11, probably none. But in six weeks, he can sign with the Chiefs. You know, April 3rd, he could be on the Chiefs. I won a couple of them at that point. Maybe not right during free agency because will there be overreaction of whether he signs there or not? Sure, but there's going to be a point where three weeks post-free agency, someone goes, Darnell Mooney, man, I looked more into his profile and what he'd done in the past. He's a sneaky buy. Like, you want a player like that even if they don't fit in with your construction. So, Vapad, thank you for the question. Hopefully that answers it and goes through how I would deal with roster construction. Still super flex, but lower tight end premium, less starters, and shallower benches. Next question is also from the Discord. Uh, Lernor asks, in a best ball startup right now, 20-man start eight. 
So super flex, 20-man start eight. So very shallow, but best ball. So interesting, we don't get a lot of questions on shallow best ball leagues, but I've had people reach out to me and talk about, okay, can you talk about one QB roster construction? Can you talk about shallow league roster construction? And I think a lot of what I talk about with the roster construction series, you can pare it down just like I did with the previous question when the league is shallower, when it's less starters, when it's less roster spots, when there's not as many rookie picks, I mean, whatever it might be, shallower. But I think one thing to notice, and I'll talk about this because we just finished the best ball roster construction series. When you are in a shallow league, the impact of each position is, is heightened. It's greater. I mean, pull up a war chart for a shallow league and just tell me what you notice different between that and, say, the roster construction series. But if you just think about it very logically, forget about the war chart, forget about optimal roster construction. If you are in a start eight, 20-man roster, best ball league the problem with doing a league like that for best ball and why i would never start one like that is because that actually conflicts with the flow of scoring production in the league right now like you would look at that and say where the tiers break from like you have the elite elite players like the difference making war players let's call them the top five to 15 players then you have a large chunk of the next tier of players, maybe the top 80 players or so. So 20 through 80, let's say top 20 players in the league are like true war difference making players. And then players 21 through 80 are the, the chunk, the majority chunk of good starters, your high end threshold receivers, your innings eating running backs, all your QBs that can produce, you know, top 20 or better numbers, right? Then you have everybody else. And in best ball, it almost flattens off at every single position after the top 80 or so players. And it's, it's give or take, depending on the scoring and stuff. But let's say anywhere between 60 and 100, it just goes flat. Now you notice with this, start eight 20-man rosters, 12-team, right? There's only 240 total players rostered across the league there's only 96 starters across the league but it's also best ball so really what happens is the total player pool that's relevant in best ball is far greater than what's going to be rostered in this league so it almost creates this very very flat dead zone of everybody else outside the top 80 to 100 players but half of them are going to be on teams and half of them are going to be on waivers. And maybe that's more of like a 70-30 split because it's still 240. But you get the point. It's going to be flat between like the bottom eight players on your roster or the bottom six players on your roster and a ton of players on waivers. So if you really think about that, how would you play it? You only have 20 roster spots, but the flat ranges are going to exist and they're going to overlap the back half of your team and the waiver wire. And that's assuming everybody's constructed optimally. There's going to be people that are carrying zeros, even with 20-man rosters, which is inexcusable, right? Think about what I talked about on the roster construction series. If you have 30-man rosters, you can't afford to carry more than maybe six weekly zeros max. My goal was every single week, if it's a start 11, I need to have 22 players minimum 
able to score or hit my lineup every week. That includes during the season injuries and buys. So I don't have time for a fringe player that isn't playing for four weeks. So assuming that everybody is optimal in this 20-man roster start eight, you're still going to have a ton of overlap where everybody is optimal all games every week. People have 20 usable players. Now, that's not really feasible given there's bye weeks and stuff like that, but let's just assume it were true. Everybody is going to be rostering 20 players that could hit their lineup. That's 240. On a weekly basis, there's still probably 60 to 120 players out there that could crack a lineup. There's still a ton of players that could be relevant in a couple weeks that are going to be sitting on waivers. And that's assuming perfect construction, which isn't going to happen. So back to Lerner's question, how does the roster construction get to optimal here? So when you're in a shallower league, the key thing with roster construction is understanding the relation between your starting spot, so you only have eight of them, and the replacement value. So that's why running the war is important. Looking at the biggest differences in those, and that's what you're going to want to attack. Because you're almost looking at this like it's best ball. There's going to be availability to get spot starts, like spot fires in my lineup, all the time. That's almost worth nothing. So in that case, understanding the war chart, understanding that top 20 and then top 80 that I talked about, let's assume the top 80 is the cutoff for this scoring. I don't know anything more he didn't say about the tight end premium or anything. All he mentioned was you can only start three receivers. So I'm assuming this is something where it's like only one flex and it's start two receivers. And that makes sense. It's a quarterback. It's a super flex. It's a tight end. It's two running backs, two receivers and a flex. That's what I'm assuming. You can only start eight receivers or you only can start three receivers. So you're probably looking at and saying, okay, that top cutoff, wherever it is, run the war in your league. If you're in a shallow league like this, shallow starters, shallow total spots, because here's the thing. I always say 40% is the magic number of starters to total roster spot ratio. That's exactly what this is. So this actually isn't a misaligned league. It's not a start eight with 30-man rosters. Those are a disaster. But the number of starters is only eight, so they've made the appropriate number of roster spots total in line with what I would probably recommend. But you have to really dial in those eight spots. Getting down to replacement value in a given week in your lineup with only eight starters, that's going to hit you a lot harder than it would be if it's a start 11, if it's a start 12. There's a reason when you're in like a start 12, you can almost just fade your running back spots. You just need something. And you know the nature of the market is going to allow you to get that something for almost nothing. Now here, you really never want to have just something in your lineup. But you also know that that's available almost for free given the shallowness of the total roster spots. So to answer his question, optimal construction do I really want to try to get to the number of threshold receivers? I mean, sure, I want to probably roster construct with a similar ratio. So we're probably looking at three QBs, probably looking at four tight ends, three tight ends, probably three tight ends. I'd probably go three QBs, three tight ends. And then the rest receivers that I know can be in that top, I don't know, because you're only starting two with the flex. So you're probably top 24. It's got to be top 24 or better. And then running backs that I know have roles. 
So maybe a three, three, six, and really dialing in the running backs. What are you at? Eight, eight running backs potentially. But the problem is you, you almost have to dial in each one. You have to focus more on the core high-end players at each position. You can't fade a position because the power of getting to replacement value in a start eight, if you get there on a weekly basis, like let's say you don't have enough high-end quarterbacks and you end up one of your QBs that hits your lineup is the QB 27 on the week. Like that's going to hurt a ton. Sure, you have a quarterback that hits your lineup, but it's probably on the very, very low end. And the impact of you going from QB 27 and everybody else getting above replacement value, that stings. You only have seven other roster spots to make that up. And it's very difficult in best ball to just make up sheer number of points in a roster spot because it's best ball, especially at a position like receiver. If everybody has 10 receivers, odds are you may have a couple big hits, like a couple teams may have massive weeks, but generally everybody's going to have a floor or say you can only start three receivers. If everybody has eight to 10 of them, everyone's going to hit 40 plus points from their three receiver spots. So you hitting 52 in your three receiver spots and somebody else hits 40, it's only 12 points across three spots. But then you're taking a hit at QB by 11 points that week. I mean, you, you see the difference in only eight starters how big it is at those positions to be struggling at one of the positions you can only start two or one, like the tight end and like the quarterback. So that's how I would play it. I would probably scale it back very similar to the roster construction ratios that I talked about in the roster construction series. But you do have to focus on less of the innings eaters and more of maybe I do pay up for one stud at each position. Maybe I make sure that I can get as many of those top 80 players as I can and just take my chances with everybody else. Given what we talked about with waivers and how many players that are going to be usable, that are going to be out there available throughout the season. So last question is from Cheeky Hobson in our Discord. And this is getting a little more complex. So if you're in one of those complex leagues and you're thinking about roster construction, it's tougher to find content about it. It's tougher to find content covering nuances that are really rare. So this league, he says it's a 12-team start 11 super flex. Tight end premium is two points. So it's not crazy, but the tight end premium is even higher than what the roster construction series says. But the bigger question, and why I wanted to answer this, because honestly it doesn't differ a ton from the roster construction series other than the two PPR for tight ends. The bigger question is trying to fix it on the fly. We get a lot of questions about that of, hey, I just caught the series and I'm trying to fix the construction of this team. And then he lists out, has four of the top seven picks. So the 102, 104, 106, and 107. Also has the 110 and the 202. So sitting on six of the top 14 picks in the draft. Mentioned going potentially wide receiver heavy in the draft but then also mentioned his roster is already higher on tight ends. So he's already rostering enough tight ends to probably cover a lineup league, if not more. And this is a lineup league. Mentioned he has Sam Laporta, Dalton Kincaid, Tucker Craft, and Michael Mayer. Then lists some running backs that are really just bodies. Tajay Spears, Roshan Johnson, Chuba Hubbard, Keaton Mitchell. And then he got mentioned that he had a trade that was a roster construction fixer but wasn't sure if he should do it 
for sake of the roster construction fixing right now. So we kind of already talked about this earlier, but this is an example of you look at your team, you don't love your construction. Now he doesn't mention who his QBs are, but I don't really think it's even relevant to this discussion. It's more a discussion of this format to tight end premium. And I talked about this a little bit with the roster construction series, but just to take it a step further in a lineup league, right? I mentioned if you're looking at a 12-team start 11, 1.75 tight end premium, 30-man rosters, I'm still probably leaning two tight ends. You could go up to three if it's the right ones. Receivers, I'm probably leaning seven receivers. You could go up to eight if it's the right ones. But if you add those together, if I say the range for receivers is seven to eight, on the series I said seven. If I said the range for tight ends was two to three, but on the series, I said two right there. The range is like nine to 11, right? So the key is plug a league like this into the war tool, run the war, look at the graph, but then go to that, my league analytics tab. You go to the, my league analytics tab. And what you will see is you will see the flex rate for each position. So you see at the bottom where it says flex rate for each position, and it'll tell you however many flexes there are. If there's four flexes in your league, so in this case, start 11, there's going to be three flexes. If there's three flexes, you're going to see this number out of 36. And probably what you're going to see in two PPRs, you're going to see something like 15 for tight ends. You're going to see like 15 for tight ends. You might see like 15 for wide receivers or 11 or 12 or 13 for wide receivers. Just depends on what the running back scoring is. If there's any bonuses, I mean, it'll differ slightly, but you'll notice that the tight ends are flexed at almost the same rate as wide receivers. And then the running backs are lower. The running backs are going to be lower when you have a PPR and then you have a two PPR for tight end league. So right there, that's going to tell you that the dominant flex positions are wide receiver and tight end. So let's go back to cheeky's question. 12 teams start 11, two PPR for tight ends, trying to fix my roster construction. I don't even know who his receivers are. But what I do know is he has guys like Sam Laporta, Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer, and Tucker Craft. So this partially comes down to your thoughts on Tucker Craft, your thoughts on Michael Mayer from an asset standpoint. I think both those guys you could liquidate, especially in a two PPR, especially if other people value tight ends higher because it's two PPR. So you have options. So I'm right now, I'm going to count both of those tight ends, Kraft and Mayer. Obviously, Kincaid and Laporta are top five at the position. I'm going to count Kraft and Mayer as threshold guys. You may not agree. Other people may not think so. But for purposes of counting them, it's like having Jacoby Myers and Hollywood Brown. I'm going to count them as threshold receivers. That doesn't mean they ultimately end up there. But for counting, I have enough to say I can count both of them. Then you have your draft picks. Again, I don't know what his QBs look like, but let's assume just an average QB room, right? You have six draft picks in the top 14. And you probably have two tight ends in the rookie class, definitely one with Bowers, and a ton of receiver threshold options that are going to be available. So I would also argue you are already at your roster construction. You are already at optimal construction. Now it's a matter of really narrowing down the players you want to make that construction. But the reason I talked about the flexes is the beauty of this is you don't need seven receivers, 
right? You don't have to have seven receivers. If you have five, that's okay. If you have Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer, Brock Bowers, and Sam Laporta, they essentially act as wide receiver twos or better in this format. They're interchangeable. So here I actually think it's easier to roster construct. It's why two PPR has become so popular because it pushes the tight ends at least to a flex range where if you have a top 15, top 20 even tight end and you have deeper rosters, so here in this case it's a start 11, the tight ends and receivers are equal. Now there's a point where the receivers will outscore the tight ends, but for the most part, the core of those innings eaters, they're the same. So the beauty is you can go, all right, I can just draft best player available. If it's a tight end in that range, sure. And then you immediately think about, okay, in this format, what is probably good bets? A good bet is probably the 112 for a guy like Jake Ferguson. And you go, a first for Jake Ferguson, sure. But if you're going to draft Xavier Worthy there, the only difference between Xavier Worthy and Jake Ferguson is probably Jake Ferguson will outscore him. It's the asset, right? It's I have Xavier Worthy. Man, if he pops perception is just he's going to be worth more than Jake Ferguson because Jake Ferguson's tight end 10, not a sexy name, nothing really appealing about him other than he's in a good situation, but he's an innings eater. So just think about that. You can literally make them interchangeable. So I would argue his roster construction is already optimal. It's just not decided because he has it in the form of a lot of tight ends and a lot of picks. And I don't know the receivers, but let's say he has three decent receivers. You know, he's got Brandon Ayuk, he has DK Metcalf, and he has George Pickens. Those are his top three receivers. They're all innings eaters. They all count. So right there, you have Laporta, Kincaid, Mayer, Kraft, and those three receivers. That's seven. Add in there all those draft picks. Like, you're going to hit your construction. You're just trying to figure out, okay, what 9, 10, 11 of those players, who are they going to be? And are there any where I can maybe sell because I can slide somebody else in? Can I sell somebody like Sam Laporta and get two more pieces? Because you're going to be able to draft Brock Bowers if you want him because you have the 102, 104, and 106 and the 107. So it's almost a guarantee that he's going to be on your team if you really want him to be. And then the question was, do I trade Michael Mayer and get back Khalil Herbert, Miles Sanders, and Joe Flacco? And again, this is one of those trades where you go, why would you make this? But this is where roster construction can trick you because you're probably looking at this saying, I need more running backs. He only has four running backs on his roster. So I need more running backs. Yes, you do. I need more quarterbacks. Yes. But should I take value back in the form of Khalil Herbert, Miles Sanders, and Joe Flacco? No. Those positions, when you're talking about the backup levels, I still want to try to get those as cheap as possible. So trading a threshold player just for the sake of roster construction is a no-no. And we get that a lot. Shane has a comment in the same thread. I wouldn't sacrifice a good asset just for the sake of roster construction. And he nailed it. He said it succinctly, but he nailed it. This is where you're allowed to stray. I have 10 good receivers and five good tight ends. My quarterbacks and my running backs are weak, and I don't have enough of them. That's okay. That's okay, especially if you say I don't have enough of them. Don't go, oh, I need to get more of those. So let me trade threshold assets to do it. No, that's you shouldn't be doing that. And it might seem obvious, but I think people start taking these roster construction ideas and they take them seriously. I need to fix it today. I need to go and literally count my team and see if I can fix it today. And you don't have to. So I appreciate the question uh, from Cheeky about that, but I think it's one of those things where you really have to evaluate, why am I doing this trade? 
what am I getting back? And if it's just filling my construction and that is it, it's probably not something I want to explore in a trade, especially when you hold all the leverage of all those picks. So thank you for that question, but that's a common one we get with construction is, do I go and just make deals for the sake of my construction? And the answer is no, if you're just filling out those backup quarterback and backup running back spots. So if you enjoyed this episode, this was just a fun one for me to put out, talk about roster construction, why it's important, and just give examples of some of the questions that I get on a daily basis about it. And it's fine. I like answering these same questions kind of over and over and over uh, for this specific reason, because it is one of those things that can be confusing to people. It is one of those things that people can get bogged down with the number and not really focus on being fluid and having a way to gain more assets and be okay being strayed from your roster construction at this point in the offseason with the idea that you're moving assets around to get better assets for the season. Then you start dialing in your optimal construction because historically that's what ends up winning during the season is having the optimal construction. There's a reason it's optimal. It's because most likely those extra spots that you're carrying are firing in the places where you need them the most on a weekly basis. So hopefully this helps. If you enjoyed this, you can check out more content like it over on Destination Devi. DestinationDevi.com is the website, patreon.com backslash all gas. Get access to the site, to the Discord, bonus content, AMAs. We have Discord podcasts that are put out three to four times a week. Uh, and then obviously trade questions and strategy questions within the Discord as well. So check those out. Subscribe to the feeds uh, here on the podcast feed, the Wake Up With Ray G feed as well and then the Destination Debbie YouTube page over on YouTube for weekly content over there from all of our content creators. Uh, last thing, our hammer streams on Trades in 5. It's hard to get into roster construction questions on the hammer streams, so if you're interested in getting questions like this discussed, uh, come to the Tuesday streams. We do those Tuesday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. We usually go for at least an hour and a half, if not two hours, that's where we can talk some of these things through. Otherwise, we're doing a lot of these hammer streams where are just 30 minutes or just answering trade questions. So if you do want to get trades on there or even questions on there, I suppose you could drop roster construction questions on the hammer stream. It is buymeacoffee.com backslash trades in five. So if you want a quick question answered within a couple days, uh, that's where to put it. Buy a coffee, ask a question. You'll get it on one of these hammer streams between myself and Clay, myself and Shane, or Clay and Shane. There'll be some combo of two of us doing these streams a couple times a week on top of the regular Tuesday streams. So with that, I will go ahead and sign off for the week. Appreciate everybody, and we are right up against Combine Week. So enjoy it. We'll be back next week, probably talking some stuff about the Combine, maybe some reactions and whatnot. Mm -hmm coming from the crew. So I'll go ahead and sign off. Be chill.